0: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, because you might be listening to this archived, you might be in another part of the world, so I'm not sure if it's light or if it's night, but um, we are here at PRN Studios, and I'm so excited to be here once again. This is Jeremiah Hosea. You're tuning into the Baseline and once again we have an incredible guest i can't believe the guests i've been able to get on this program so far it's been a thrill every step of the way and the thrill continues today because i have one of my favorite sub stackers on the line and um, she's been an inspiration in the medical freedom movement and i don't even know how to characterize her stuff we're going to get into the characterization of her stuff in a moment tessalina has an incredible substack called Tessa Fights Robots, which is such a cool name, first of all. I mean, that's like the coolest name for a substack. But it's also an awesome substack that is factual in nature. It's theoretical in nature. It is conceptual. It is artistic. There's so many things that are just kind of packed into her very rich substack, which consists of great articles that she's written, but also great interviews for, I don't know if she can explain to us, but there's a a series she does called Make Language Great Again, and she just has a wonderful um, collection of interviews that she's conducted. Actually, I was honored to be her guest last week, so now we're kind of trading places a little bit. Tessa, are you on the line? Can you hear me?
1: Uh, yes. Thank you, Jeremiah. It is very kind of you to describe in such a way. And I'm so honored to be on your show. It's, it's a pleasure and a joy.
0: Well, thank you so much. I mean, I'm serious. I told you this at the beginning of our interview last week. You know, we have some friends in common, my good friend Michael J. and my good friend Kevin Nathaniel. We formed a group called the Healing Sound Ensemble in reaction to the whole situation we were facing. And we've actually been gigging and doing like sound healing gigs. But when we were first in communication about what was going on in this crazy world with, with the COVID narrative coming down upon us and all the policies that came along with that, it was like, Tessa, Tessa, did you see the new article by Tessa? Tessa's on fire. And it was like, you know, you were like a, a mythical figure at first. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then I, I became a fan of your Substack myself. I started tuning in and, and um, reading your articles. And how would you describe yourself? Are you a citizen journalist, or, or how would you describe the type of journalism that you're doing?
1: Well, first of all, thank you again. And yeah, those times, 2020, the first, especially the first months of the so-called pandemic, yeah, that was a very special time. And very. <laughs> <laughs> a very, very special time. That That is actually what compelled me to write my first sub stack as Testified Robots in April, 2020. Uh, the reason I did it was because I was afraid to speak up in a way, even though it sounds ridiculous. I've never been afraid. You were afraid but to speak up, so you spoke friends. up immediately. <laughs> yeah, I saw all of my friends go in a different direction, and those are the people, musicians and artists, creative people, those are the people I very, very much respect, and I saw them go in an entirely different direction. And it was so puzzling to me, so I was... A little bit, or more than a little bit, afraid that they would not like me anymore. But at the same time, I was more afraid of being a coward and just not being able to look at myself in the mirror. If we were in a situation like early Nazi Germany, and if I didn't say anything, then that would be completely ridiculous. I thought. So I, I said something, and uh, amazingly, I think some of my friends thought I was crazy, but they didn't necessarily even argue with me they just kind of stopped talking to me and and I gained so many new friends and all the things that I wanted to do all my life as far as kind of explaining the world in a way that makes sense spiritually and uh, in every other way in in earnest like how it made sense to me inside my heart it became significantly easier for me, strangely enough, under the pressures of 2020 and on. And as far as the description of my self I I don't know, I just try to be honest. And that's the main thing to me. When I write, I try to be useful. And that was a big transition for me because, well, like you, I'm a musician. And I just remember trying to work very hard for likes, and I went to her phase, probably many of us did, as musicians, especially younger musicians, and just feeling so insecure and trying to please people and get more likes and get more popular and all those things. And it didn't feel quite right. But that's how the industry, quote-unquote, taught me to do things, and I tried it. And then in 2020, I stopped caring about it at all, because I was just focused, sincerely so, on being useful, and that changed the entire world for me. Like, my perspective changed, my internals changed, the way I interacted with people changed, and that was just such a beautiful transition for me personally. So I really tried to be honest. And like another thing that I did in 2020 that kind of changed my life, I wrote the essay Great Reset for Dummies. Before that, not too many people were reading my Substack. I started it with like 12 people. And then when I wrote it, uh, kind of just thrown it out into the world because I felt so desperate uh, trying to explain and people not listening and trying to explain what was going on based on my research of transhumanism for years and big tech and all those things. So I wrote it and all of a sudden it was published by everybody, like Zero Hedge, a bunch of people, Riposte, I mean, everybody, I had no idea, friends were calling me and saying that, oh, I just read you here or there, or Zero H. was like, What's Zero H? What me? What are you talking about? And then uh, it was very beautiful for me, again, because I felt like I was useful and just feeling this uh, flow of energy back and forth that I'm doing something useful and and I receive gratitude and I give gratitude. That was, that was the most beautiful thing for me.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, you... Started your sub stack in April of 2020. Now, I'm blown away by that. I mean, you were so on the ball. It seems like most people were just getting their bearings at that time. I mean, I guess some people think that I was way ahead of the game and compared to most people, I think I was as well. But really, I was a, a B-plus reactor, maybe even a B-minus reactor compared to some people I know, but you were an A-plus reactor. You had immediate reaction time to what was going on. How did you see so clearly that something afoul was afoot?
1: Well, first of all, I think you're being very modest. I think you're an A-plus reactor yourself and extremely insightful in your writing and in your art. And I'm not just saying it because you gave me compliments. That is completely sincere. I think you are really, really, you offer such brilliant things to the world.
0: Oh, well, thank you Uh, so much.
1: Oh, absolutely. And going back to your question, I think that's because I've been through a bunch of stuff previously. A part of it is that I was married to an abusive man many years ago, and I went through that whole experience of being in denial, of being abused, being in denial, not believing that it can happen to me, you know, the smart person, me, the educated person, me. So, and I paid a very dear price for awakening. It was extremely dramatic and painful. So uh, for many years, after that I asked myself, why did I have to go through that? Why, Why me, what did I do? Like I was a good person, why did it have to happen to me? And then in 2020, I thought, ah, oh, that's why. That became very clear because I already knew how to recognize abuse from the very, very first signs. And when I started hearing the you know, mass media, the mainstream media, tell us that we should not trust our own instincts and that we should uh, put this thing on. And if we disagree internally with what they're telling us, then we're horrible people. We should abandon it and just do as told and uh, not talk to other people, not touch other people, not interact with people how we feel like it, but how the television tells us. So that was classic. That was classic abusive behavior. And I recognized it immediately. It's like, no no, 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 no. This time around, no. I know better. Hmm. Uh, and then another thing, I, as a musician, I got involved in musician activism specifically around big tech uh and transhumanism in 2013 14 something along those lines and now it sounds very naive uh given what has happened since 2020 but nonetheless i was researching transhumanism and i saw that it could be a problem sometime down the line maybe yeah. after my lifetime so i started making art about it so the phrase "tessified robots Initially, it was the name of my album that I released in 2017. Sure. And and that was also the name of my blog, of my original website, com. And so I was writing about it, but I was writing about it kind of like, well, it could happen. It's horrible if it happens. It's not likely to happen anytime soon. But if it does, and when it does, it's pretty horrible. And then when 2020 showed up, I was like, what? Everything that I've been writing about as a remote danger for some kind of faraway future, it was actually happening. And that was so weird because, for example, Google tried for some years to get its hands on health data, uh, protected health data, or to get all education online. Now, for surveillance, for monitoring, and most importantly, uh, for collecting the data in order to build that perfect AI, which... Uh, There's a quote by one of the founders, they hope to build it in 300 years or so. A perfect AI, completely perfect. So they need a lot of data, and they were and are trying to grab all the data they can get their hands on, whether it's uh, data in the conventional sense or biological, biosensing data, health data, anything. But prior to 2020, their successes were moderate. And like they tried, but there was legislative pushback. There was pushback from other industries. And then when uh, magical COVID happened, they got everything that they were trying to get and 100 times more. And so to me, that was also a tell sign. And I was like, no, it cannot be, it cannot be innocuous. It just cannot be. So I had to speak up.
0: Incredible. So, I guess a, a connected question to that is your, your moral compass, your, your sense of character, your, your fear of being a coward, which I found to be an amazing description you just provided. Um, how, how did you have the technical wherewithal? Because I've learned a whole heck of a lot um, over the past few years through listening to the various dissident doctors, virologists, epidemiologists, et cetera. I mean, I feel like I've gotten a, a little mini education. Like I went through a little medical school myself, although, of course, people accuse you and say, well, you're not a doctor, to which I say, well, I'm not trying to administer medicine. So that's neither here nor there. I just don't want things inserted into my body. So it doesn't matter if I'm a doctor, if I'm not trying to give you medicine. But my question for you now is just in terms of your, your academic background a little bit, because, I mean, you're so comfortable with these advanced subjects. And I was so impressed when I think it was Paul Alexander who has such a prolific sub stack, he shouted you out. So I said, wow, Tessa's getting shout outs from doctors who have sub stacks now. So the, the stuff that you're presenting is credible enough that credentialed people will reference it. What's your academic background that you, you're so comfortable with all these topics?
1: Well, thank you. And, of course, gratitude to Paul Alexander, Dr. Paul Alexander. It was extremely kind of him to shout me out. And I have deepest admiration for his work and for your work. Uh, As far as my academic background, well, I grew up in a medical family. And I guess some part of it is just the culture that I imbibed with mother's milk, and I was around listening to all the stories, helping my mom translate her work into English as a child, and uh, hearing how things work in the medical community. So that's kind of just background information, not specific, not technical, but you kind of learn as a child uh, how thought processes work in the medical world, and that's probably a part of it. But all in all, I was, well, uh, I was fluctuating between different aspirations. At about 11 years old, I wanted to be a geneticist. And I went into, uh, you know, genetics was very different back then. It was a lot more hands-on. So I tried to understand. I guess it would be classical, considered classic genetics in today's terms. So I learned about that. I went out of my way to uh, contact geneticists and biologists at the university and like, to get involved with them and all that but then i kind of lost interest and i was choosing between music and languages because uh, i was doing a uh, classical piano as a kid i studied it very thoroughly for for many years and i suppose i was somewhat decent at it uh but uh, then i ultimately chose to do linguistics and asian studies so i started uh, know, different like Buddhist philosophy and Tibetan language and all those things. So, uh, I guess really it's kind of the same thing that you're describing when you're talking about yourself. It's curiosity. Like, human brain is genu- generally very capable. I think we all have that. So, if you're really interested in something, you try to understand it, you can po- possibly do a better job than a credential person because... Like you just have this dedication and honesty, and you and you insist on understanding it, and you try to do it as well as you can and make the logical connections and so on
0: right so let's let's move into today. Um, there's rumblings of the next phase of the Covid plan. Joe Biden himself made a comment about. Uh, there's a new vaccine that's underway and he he expects everyone to take it even if they took their first covid quickly waning so-called vaccine um there's talk of lockdowns returning i mean it seems uh far-fetched almost i mean are are we going to go for this again the mask mandates the lockdown policy the 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 vaccines, apparently um, they're, they're you know, instituting all of this stuff in some universities, Rutgers University, uh, university comes to mind. They've said we're going to return to the mask mandates, and they still have, I don't know what their specific vaccine requirement is up until this moment, um, if it's, it's X number of boosters or whatever, but sadly, I mean, we're not hearing protests from Rutgers University Are they going to be able to get away with this again? Are they going to try to? What are your predictions? What do you know, and what are are your predictions about what's going to happen in the near future?
1: Well, I think they're definitely going to try. They're trying. I think, uh, from all the logical signs and uh, just factual information, it seems obvious that it is about the bigger plan, the bigger social reform, whether it's called the Great Reset or any of those things. So, at this point, the leadership really doesn't care about what the people think. They're just pushing for whatever their bosses with a lot of money telling them to do. And I think I'm getting the impression they're far more afraid of their bosses than they are of any people, any citizens. So they just do stubbornly anything that pushes us further into this whole great reset situation. So it's really up to the people. You know, it's a philosophical thing in a way. So practically, uh, the exit door uh, out of all this nonsense is available to us right now, this very second. So if a lot of people just refuse to comply with it, and peacefully so, just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. If every student at the university or the majority of students at the university refuse to collaborate with this, then the university is going to change their tune because they don't want to go out of business immediately. Well, unless BlackRock bails them out, which is, you know, another story. But in practical terms, most likely, if in any group at any institution, the majority of participants are going to refuse to participate in the scam, the scam is going to fall apart. The question is human habit. It seems like... Human habit is really what drives history because they're always villains. They're always people who really try to steal on a massive scale and rob on a massive scale and confuse people on a massive scale. We can assume that at any point in time there are such people. They're very few. They're a very tiny minority. But they're very ambitious and crazy and driven, and they really try to mess with people's heads. So if people refuse to cooperate with them, which I think usually happens when people suffer too much. When when there's so much pain that people just have to snap out of this spell. When the spell ends and people start acting like free people again, as opposed to uh, slaves in disguise. And that's when the good things happen. So I think we are kind of on our way to that good spot. But when it's going to happen, in practical terms is completely unknown. It can be Tomorrow, it can be 3,000 years from now. I think the whole great reset in philosophical terms is about waking us up to our dignity. Because, it's, you know, this, this is interaction with bullies. They push you and they push you and they push you and they push you until you can't take it anymore. And out of that total desperation not being able to take it anymore, you say, you know what, no, I am not going to take it anymore. And then you confront the bully. And then bullies are typically not very brave, so they go away after some struggle. And I think we're all discovering that brave person in ourselves. And at a point when all of us are more afraid of being a coward than of anything else, I think miracles are going to happen, and the world is going to be very, very beautiful.
0: Ah, so you perfectly lead me to my next question, which is, I want you to... Be a utopian, if you will, in in an ideal situation. What can we create? what What should we be striving towards? I mean, in addition to non-compliance and resistance, there are some exciting new things that are happening. Like you described how, this whole experience has launched you into sort of this new phase of your own self-discovery and i could say in a parallel way i've, I've had the same experience both with the friends and, and the change of my landscape of friends but then also as i've described in in previous uh maybe in a, in a previous episode i mean i wanted to be a writer for other reasons i wanted to write about music and culture and it was this event that compelled me into citizen journalism which has then been an incredibly rich experience so I'm sorry for everything that's happening in the world but I'm glad for the internal breakthroughs that we're making and where can we take that in, in terms of there's this open-source media movement that we're a part of there's the intentional communities what are some of the positive things that you think we should strive for
1: I think local communities are where it's at and by the way speaking of Substack I think you occupy such a unique niche And, again, I I just love how you write about politics in a way that is both loving and philosophical and real and concrete. It is.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. I'll say quickly before I let you finish uh, or answer my question that I just asked you, my goal in my Substack is I really want to discuss things that I think are important, things that occurred to me that I don't hear other people mentioning. I feel like there's a lot of experts covering all kinds of ground that I I couldn't discuss some of those matters, and I'll leave that to them, but I like to harp on points that I feel are being overlooked in the broader discussion. But, sorry,
1: what what were you going to say? No, no, it really shines through. I mean, that's what I really like about your substack because it's unique and it's original, and I guess that's what I like to read in general. The original opinions that come from the heart and intelligently expressed. So you're doing it very brilliantly.
0: Likewise, I, I feel a, I, I sincerely feel the same way about your Substack. But thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, we're just going to praise each other. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a,
0: a the the they program. call it mutual <laughs> appreciation society. But it's true. I mean, I, I I but I could also say I do like my own Substack as well. And yeah, I mean, I guess we are you know kindred spirits in some sort of way. We we do have some common ground here. So it's not that alien that we would appreciate what we're doing out here. But I think there is a cool style um about your your sub That's clear. And I try to put a little style and flair in, in to mine in terms of just
1: it Thank being you and you by need. the way, by the way, praising each other actually fits. It's in part of the a, solution, what right? I would <laughs> like, yeah, no, what I would love to say in response because I think one of the big problems and I'm not even being facetious. One of the big problems in our society is that people are deeply underloved, Mm. and it's very hard to even admit to that, and a lot of people don't have the time to actually think about it or use those words, they would be too embarrassed to use those words, or it's too un-American because you're supposed to be successful and smiling and posting nice things on your social media and all that. But that is a big problem, and I think that uh, going local and showing sincere gratitude and appreciation of other people can do miracles. Because you know sometimes you walk in the street and you just smile at somebody or you compliment somebody's looks or you know, compliment somebody's work. Sincerely so. I mean I mean when when you do it from the heart, when you actually mean it. It can change the person's day, it can change the person's life sometimes and you may never know that you made the difference. But it's tremendous, it's kind of doing God's work, uh, appreciating each other. It's, it's really that important, I think. And uh, on the positive side of the Great Reset, I think that when we were forced to look more inward and to look for kindred spirits and to look for people who are in alignment with how we want to live our lives, that elevates the world. And the world outside can be completely crazy. And it is unlikely that it is going to stop being crazy in the near future, to be honest, but I think that we can build our worlds that are maybe smaller, but a lot heartier and a lot more soul nourishing. And uh, that is probably the way going forward. And yes, we fight our fights against all the villains in the best way we can. And we all have different jobs you know, doctors and journalists and writers and musicians. And scientists and lawyers, everybody has their own forte. But uh, I think that just building our own life in honesty and with love is the really big change that we can make. And we do have the power. We may not have the power to do anything about Klaus Schwab. We do have the power to change ourselves and to build a life based on love around us, I think.
0: Excellent. You're... You're like perfectly leading me to my next question, one step after another, after another. It's, it's incredible because you just mentioned Klaus Schwab. And then I want to segue into that discussion, which is what is the nexus of power in all of this to, to the best of your discernment? I mean, it's one thing when the U.S. government is pulling off its shenanigans, but for 160 countries at once to discard quote-unquote, pre-pandemic measures and decide, oh, yeah, we're going to all adopt this new playbook all at the same time. I mean, how did they achieve this? Who is the puppet master?
1: Well, I think uh, it is almost more philosophical than political Mm. because, for example, the World Economic Forum is more or less a CIA creation, right? If if you look uh, uh, into the work of Johnny Vedmo, for example, who looked into that in detail. Uh, so, yes, there's a World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, but they're almost a front, like an ugly front, but a front nonetheless for uh, other, you know, for the agencies and things like that.
0: The alphabet people.
1: So it's, it's I look at it very philosophically. I think that at the root of it is uh, what Stephen Newcomb calls the system of domination and the spirit of domination and actual spiritual sickness, because uh, something goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. And uh, like I came up with a term that I use metaphorically, you know, bad witches. They decided to trick the people and to steal and to establish the entire system based on that. And they came up with institutional religions, with uh, many, many lies. They put the words in the mouth of God that I very much doubt God ever said or thought. And so they built this entire dysfunctional machine, and it took centuries for it to start seeming very real, like it's our own reality. And that it's human nature to be mean to each other and to equate success with successful stealing. It's really not very natural. We have both in us. We have good, we have bad. We can always choose. At any point, we can choose this or the other. But there was this whole way of thinking and perception created around the fact that we are necessarily bad uh, unless we comply, and good people have to suffer, honest people have to suffer. It's the dishonest people who are successful in the material sense. I think there was all a psyop. Hmm. It it was all a fire to begin with, and with every phase, with every new reform, with every new conquest, it's building up on the same machine. So what's happening right now with the Great Reset, it's kind of a repetition of manifest destiny. It it uses completely different talking points. Uh, It comes with a lot of shiny technology and very powerful technology and scary technology, but it's the same principle. So I think that... Uh, at least from my perspective, the way to push against it is to not give anything to that energy and to do things with love. And sometimes I have this debate with people when they say, oh, love is, you know, what? what is this love thing? What can it do? I, I think it has to do with everything because love is not weakness. It's not turning the other cheek, actually. It's not being a pushover. It's just remembering that you're home, is with love and that all this trickery and fighting the trickers and adventure you have to defeat the bad witches and expel them and then the world is going to be beautiful and you cannot do it without love it's impossible so it's really about self-confidence which is the same as love so if you feel love for yourself then you're compelled to give love to others and by doing so you deprive them of the energy you deprive the bad guys of the energy the bad guys in every country because, well, alphabet agencies, who are at least in part or to a large degree probably behind, you know, the ugliness, they consist of people, they're not an abstraction, They consist of people who maybe have bad motives, who uh, chose to, 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 to walk a path in their life that is not with the light, and, and that's fine. That's a part of the universe. But... There's no obligation to feed them. There's no obligation to fear them. There's no obligation to give them anything. So, I think this is the path that eventually helps us to defeat them. But it's a very slow road, and it's a very laborious journey. But I think this is where we are, and that's what we got to learn.
0: Right? Are you Are you open to taking calls, Tessa? Would you Would you communicate yeah. with uh, our Absolutely. PRN audience? So before we take calls i want to ask you one last question and then we're going to open up the lines and hopefully some of our prn people uh will no calls today oh i'm sorry i'm getting a, a message there's but... no calls right now there will be though okay there will be calls okay cool so yeah there's no calls right now yeah we're we're, we're inviting you to call in just a moment but before we do that i wanted to ask you and this is just another big overarching question, like my previous one. But in terms of this incredible, ambitious push to inject everybody in the world with this stuff, where they said everyone needs this injection without, and I think that's one of the biggest crimes in all of this that doesn't get mentioned. I think everyone who told someone to get a medical intervention without a medical examination, I think that's a crime right there. I mean, how would you tell me to get a medical intervention? You didn't examine me. You don't know what's going on in my body. You're just going to shove something into my body. But my question is, why did they want to inject everyone? What, what are your theories? What do you know? I mean, is it? some people have said, even Mike Eden, former Pfizer exec, said, I can't think of anything these people are trying to accomplish other than a depopulation agenda. And now we do have excess death. The population's not being wiped out. There are people, they're going about their everyday business. They seem to be doing okay. I hope they can continue to do okay. But there is observable excess death, which is the topic of my last substack, and it's been covered by many people now. It's not just some uh, cult, you know, conspiracy thing that people are talking about. This is statistical fact at this point. But then there's also the notion of the injectable operating system, which people might think that's crazy, but apparently Moderna even said we inject you with operating systems, and then they remove that from their website. Saying eh, that might not go over too well, considering everything that's going down right now. But why did they need to inject everybody? I mean, I know it's a huge question, but why?
1: Well, that's a very good question. You know, I think there are many things happening at the same time, and. I uh went through different phases trying to figure it out and coming to different conclusions at different times. I think uh well it's a fact that there are people who are daydreaming about the population whether it is the sole factor behind wanting to inject everybody uh it's really impossible to tell. And I want to be honest about it, because I think that uh, there's a certain sensationalism about, you know, the population, it became a talking point of its own. And uh, I am very much against fear of any kind, whether it's fear of, uh, you know, COVID, or whether it's fear of the villains. I think Forgetting about all the fear is the most important thing, I mean, that's the mindset from which we do everything else. Uh, A lot of it from what I looked into and research is, you know how in the decaying empire everything just falls apart and goes randomly and no standards are being followed. Like, for example, I talked to Sasha Ledipova, who is brilliant, and uh, now she confirmed my ideas that there are no standards. And even previously in the production of biologics, which is because the industry word for vaccines, the industry standards were not really followed to any degree of decency. Like, stuff from the floor could end up in the vials, and God knows what's there. So I think a part of it is monumental greed. And it plays at least as big of a part as the nefarious agendas. I thought at some point that the evil ones were sufficiently organized to pull off this massive depopulation. Now, I don't think so. I think they want to, but I don't think they're sufficiently organized. I think the stuff is falling apart. The factories don't work. What's in those vaccines? Intentionally with one thing we don't know, but unintentionally, I think it's pretty much up for grabs. It's anything, like any stuff from the floor, any randomness, any uh, mRNA that is no longer mRNA that has fallen apart a long time ago. Like Temperatures are not kept. So essentially, they are injecting people with uh, nonsense, right. with nonsense of unknown chemical composition. And it is very bad for the people. It is horrendous it is a crime and I think a lot of it is just you know complete insanity and negligence and like you said even even if even if let's say they were honest and the ingredients had nothing nefarious and had the exact composition that they're saying it's not the case but if it if it were they would still have to check for your individual health situation and your allergies, because it's a novel technology, Uh, even in the most mainstream sense of it. It's a novel technology. It's insane to just roll it out on a massive scale. But I think there's a ton of money in that. So I think that's a really big part of it on the industry Mm -hmm. level, where the industry people most likely are driven primarily by classic greed, and it's less sexy than depopulation. I think the depopulation group is a separate group from... The industry, hmm. the industry wants to uh, make as much money as possible. And again, industry is ultimately Blackrock and uh, Vanguard and State Street, hmm. and like they're the investors. And and there's so much promise of infinite profits in the new technologies because the whole idea what they are selling, and it's an nonsensical idea, it's a mirage and a lie. But the, the, the theoretical promise is that. Uh, with mRNA, mRNA technology, they can develop vaccines for any new pathogen very, very quickly because this whole platform of like, injecting something into you and then your own cells make a little bit of pathogens. which again, it's not how it works, but that, that's the theoretical premise. And then you develop immunity. So potentially, the sky's the limit, how much money they can make because there's a new pathogen every minute and they can force people So they hope to take all those injections against everything. And then if you look at how they change the definition of vaccine over the past three years, now it includes things that have nothing to do with infectious disease. Nothing, like zero. It just describes every potential uh, product line. So it's infectious disease, uh, poisoning, chemical, anything. So it's essentially a medicine. The new definition of vaccine is a medicine it's a vaccine, a preventative medicine or actual medicine, therapeutic so they hope to make a ton of money I think they know they've poisoned a lot of people at this point they don't care that's the that, that, that's the utter cruelty that's the utter cruelty, lack of decency and lack of sanity because only a crazy person can completely forego the sense of you know, relating to the human species, and I think that economically things are falling apart. There's total chaos in factories, and uh, you know, even in the mainstream media, they were talking about recalling, I think, 10 million doses of G because of mold and paint. That's insane, and that's what they wrote about. That that's what they where they pretended like they're monitoring something or they're doing their job. Imagine how many things went recalled, even on that basic level, on a very basic level of completely screwing up manufacturing standards.
0: Yeah, I find that, I, I like that you're talking about manufacturing, because I've been saying that recently. Would it be so hard to understand, or hard to believe that an injectable product has injured people? It's sort of the people who are in denial of that and say, oh, no, all these vaccines are safe. All that stuff about vaccine injury, that's nonsense. That's right wing propaganda people saying that they were injured is right wing. There's a woman who there's a a series of um, documentaries. One of them, I'm forgetting the name offhand, but was explicitly produced by a Democrat who's vaccine injured and and put it out a a documentary. I forget what it's called. Maybe it was anecdotals. There's a few of them. but, But there's one I think it was anecdotals. That's about vaccine injury, and the person who put it out, she's not a Republican. I mean, what are you gonna say now? She's not a Trump supporter. She's not a Republican. Is she lying for some intricate reason? Like, I find that interesting. We're, We're in what I call reverse conspiracy theory land in terms of trying to explain some of this stuff away. But it's like, if I told you that there was a Goodyear tire recall, would you say, oh, that's impossible. Goodyear makes the best tires. It's impossible. It's like, well, there's something Mm -hmm. called manufacturing and things can go wrong in that massive process from time to time. Is that so hard to imagine? Like, I remember there was early on, there was a a lot of vaccine batches that were recalled in Japan because there was metal particles that didn't belong in, in the formula and... I guess it was just I'm sure it wasn't that just the Japanese that had the medical part the metal particles in their injections. They're just probably the ones who were diligent enough to find it or acknowledge it. But what about all the other manufacturing errors that could have happened in a rushed operation of this scale? But we do have a few callers on the line and I want to hear what they have to say. So I believe we have Phil lined up and uh, he's a, a favorite caller of mine. How are you doing today, Phil?
2: Hey, I'm, man, I'm so happy to hear this program, Jeremiah.
0: Man, I'm so happy to hear you on the air joining us. So what do you got for us today? What What do you have to say to Tessa? And and we have a couple more callers, so um, please leave yeah. a little time for some other folks. But, but let us hear it, Phil.
2: You know, I'll try to be brief. Um, like, I just want to share my excitement, first of all. Um, I'm multitasking, so I don't have notes in front of me, but i do want to speak to the thing about the depopulation uh, concerns hit us and um yeah so that sounded out that seemed like an outlandish idea to me at first but with my training in economics um uh i read this textbook uh history of economic thought and i believe that one of the authors is uh lautzenheiser i believe if you go to my blog lumpen.org i have a reading list you'll see history of economic thought that was taught by Dr. Henry at UMKC, and when you read that, uh, you do see that uh, Robert Thomas Malthus was a misanthrope. And I asked my professor, "Was Robert Thomas Malthus?" Yeah, yeah a misanthrope? Thomas
0: Robert Malthus, not to be a stickler.
2: <laughs> there it is. <laughs> a and so, uh, and what's interesting is that to me, this is all part of like a long hundreds of centuries of struggle between the elites and the working class. And they, the elites have always wanted to control the working class, to keep them illiterate, or to just somehow control them. So to me, these are neo-Malthusians that are doing this.
0: I love that you and introduced that. I,
2: yeah, I do think this is related to, um, to, to some sort of neo-Malthusianism. But what's interesting is when this whole thing went down, the Democrats and the liberals just went along with it all. And the only people I saw out protesting were the Republicans. And now a lot of the research that goes with the COVID-19 uh, COVID issue, which I agree it's a psyop, it's a total psychological operation. Um, but the only critique that I hear is from the right, and somehow they blame the left for this. But the World Economic Forum, as your guest said, uh, is a CIA creation. Klaus Schwab was, uh, you know, was mentored by Henry Kissinger. Uh, Eddie Vedmore, I believe, uh, was also mentioned. His research is brilliant into Klaus Schwab. So this is a capitalist undertaking, and it's amazing to me to hear people on the right, they do rightly critique the COVID-19 PSYOP, but somehow they blame this on the left. And it's just, it just makes no sense to me because this is a total capitalist undertaking, uh, which is, in my mind, if people read the, the, the history of economic thought, they will see that this is just a continuation of control uh, of, against the working class by the, by the global power elite. To me, this is kind of a second wave pushback against the 60s, uh, trying to push back the left. And so, yeah, I guess I'll just leave it right there. And I also wanted to ask you, Maya, can we get this in podcast form so when I share this to my friends, they can listen to it after it's uh, live streamed?
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm going to be archived soon. And as soon as I'm archived, I will certainly let you guys know about that. And I'll hit you with the message um, we'll, we'll be in touch, Phil. I'll, I'll send you files directly. In the meantime, if you uh, if you have some friends, you could forward it to. Because yeah, we are building this up from the grassroots. So I'll reach All out right. to you, thank Phil. Thank you both. Thank you yeah. so much, and Phil. And I'm I so glad you brought Malthus name again. This is Tessa Lena. Please look for her okay, stack Tessa with two S's, T E S S A fights robots. So yeah, please. All right. Thank so, you. Thank you, Phil. And uh, we'll I talk like to you it, soon.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, so please subscribe to Tessa's Substack. Subscribe for free, or even better, make a donation. Tessa just broke 20,000 followers. She clawed her way up, and it was just purely based on the quality of what she was putting out that she's grown to be such a, a figure at this point. And, and sky is the limit. She's continuing to rise. And, um, you know, likewise, like I said, support my Substack. And if you make a donation to me, then I can make a donation to the station here. That's my plan, is to increase my own sense of industry, not in the sense of a massive injection of the population, but my own little (laughs) personal industry of just writing and making music. And if you could support me a little bit, I'll turn around and make a donation to the station and pay for my presence here. That's my goal. But um, do we have another caller? I believe we have E from Edgewater on the line. How how are you doing today, E? Good to hear from you. Hello, Jeremiah. E, my man. How's it going out in Edgewater?
3: Yeah, It's going like everything else. You know, it's uh, difficult. Everything is difficult now, which used to be easy when we had, you know, uh, uh, when, when they wanted to appease us, when they wanted to keep us doing what they wanted us to do. They had to give us things that made us think we had something,
0: you know? Mm, good way to put it.
3: Before I start, I just wanted to ask if you know how Tree's lead is doing.
0: I need to get an update on that. I personally don't know, actually, but um, I don't want to make an announcement uh, that I don't have any knowledge of, but I'm hoping that she's doing well. I'm going to reach out and try to find out. And uh, okay. I've, I've been hearing mostly reruns in her new 5 o'clock slot. So uh, right. I hope she can, uh, she can get back on the air very soon because, you know, I'm a huge fan, as, as I know you are.
3: Yes, she deserves a break also like everybody else.
0: So Absolutely. I
3: understand if she's recovering, she needs a break. Everyone There's nothing needs a wrong break with that. Everything is great. I just wanted to know how she was doing. I
0: appreciate okay. that.
3: Okay, now what I wanted to say is, you and your guest, uh, Tessalina and, and uh, Gary Null and Gerald Salente, you're all dealing with the symptoms of the real disease. You're de- the, the, the pandemic and the vaccine is a system is a, is a symptom of a system, and the real disease is called education. You see what I'm saying? You as a chess player. A very good chess player, if you're a chess teacher, you have to be able to look ahead if you're going to be a good chess player. You have to be able to look ahead many moves so you can make a trap for your opponent.
0: And don't overlook subtle moves. I've been taking chess lessons myself, and my teacher has been setting up these puzzles where the key is subtle moves. Right,
3: right. So, So for us to put down education would be the opposite of what we would want to do because we we put this thing on high. This education, we all bought into it because it's so perfect. We have to give the elite the credit for for coming up with this. Or maybe it goes back to the King of England back in the 12th and 13th century. But what I'm trying to put across is we bought into a system called education in this capitalistic country where they are teaching us what they want us to know so we can replace ourselves with machines. That's the end result. We, we, this, this is like a pyramid scheme that's going on for centuries now. And the, the people that got in uh, Bernie's uh, Madoff pyramid scheme, and they, got, they made money, so they didn't complain about Bernie. They liked Bernie because he got them twenty percent. So the people that went to school in the thirties and forties and college and they got good careers and was very successful, they're not gonna see what I'm talking about. It's it's what's happening, it's very subtle and gradual and we don't really and we're unable to see it. They they want us we we invented television because it was a mind control tool. Our parents had to depend on the news to get their their, their information from. They didn't just turn on the television and then they're they're overwhelmed with information like we are. All of these things came came to pass because of education, because we learned these things they wanted us to learn. And and were we really learning or were we just memorizing? Remember in the start, they give you 20 spelling words. They tell you to go home and study them because we're gonna give you a test tomorrow on 10 of the 20. So you have to study all 20 because you don't know which 10 I'm gonna give you. But it's all about memorizing, right? You memorize, memorize, memorize. And then we put this information into our head and it has, to, and in order to make room for all this new information that we really didn't need to have We have to throw out the stuff that we were born with. We're born with information, just like animals are. We have instincts, but we gave them up because we replaced it with this education system, which is a pyramid scheme, and we're gonna suffer in the end like we're suffering now. The pandemic is a biological warfare. The fires, the floods, that's meteorological warfare. Lyndon Johnson said, he who controls the weather controls the world. In 1990, George Bush said, new world order. Since then, we've been at war with our own country. The good people of this land has been at war. We, didn't, we don't see it, but that's what's being perpetrated upon us because we bought into this education system. And if we go back to the beginning, the Lord God said, Do not take from the tree of knowledge. The Native Americans lived on this land, North America is what we call it, for all these centuries without having schools and colleges and universities. They lived successfully and respected the planet, and they knew how to do things because they learned by living, not by going to a university and getting a diploma like the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, now we're smart. Now we got something to hang our hat on. Now we got laurels. Now we can have a successful career and be, uh, be somebody to look up to. You know, it's like the military, the same thing. School, going to school. They kidnapped us at six years old and forced us to go to these buildings where they, where they made sure we got it in our heads to, that we had to learn the things that the elite wanted us to learn so we could be replaced in the end by machines. This is an experiment that's been going on for hundreds of years. It's not planned to go on forever like this. They they don't like us. They don't want us around because we're not money-hungry like they are. So they want this planet for themselves. And the only reason why we're still here is because they needed us to invent these things that they want us to invent so we can be replaced in the end. That's pretty much it, Jeremiah, in a quick few minutes. I know it's hard to get grasp it, but that's what I'm trying to get you to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying. You, you raise a lot of interesting points. I won't have time to respond to everything that you've said just here. I think, that, I think first of all, Human beings are advanced beings in general, like a, a great example is the instrument that I play the electric bass initially, the electric bass was considered a bastard instrument quote unquote upright bass players would just grab these bass guitars, which are actually guitars in a lower octave, and they didn't really have a technique for it. They were just good enough musicians to make it happen as r and b was being developed but then within 10 years, 20 years, I mean, you have people playing rings around themselves, playing an electric bass like a one-man orchestra. Have you ever seen Victor Wooten? The guy sounds like four people playing the bass at one time. Or Jaco Pastorius before that playing chords and all this elegant lead bass where he's playing Charlie Parker saxophone solos, note for note on the electric bass with incredible speed and dexterity. So we are advanced Beings we're not going to stop being intellectuals. We're not going to stop figuring things out and advancing things I guess the question is the intention of it the power structure behind it You know, it's like I think yes. of the example well, of professional why,
3: why would you buy into a system that is going to be no good for you in the end? You buy into something that's going to benefit you in the end.
0: Well, we're just we're, we're, it's not, but, but we're in society, right? Like I didn't buy into society. I'm just here and I have to deal with it in various ways. and
3: Right. I'm not saying anybody should be blamed. We're, we're all innocent because we were tricked. What can you do when you're
0: tricked? You know what you remind like me of? There's a, book, I, there's a book that I really love that I would encourage all of our listeners to, to get a copy of called Touch the Earth. And it's a book of Native American spirituality. And I remember one statement in the book where he said, you know, you can approach me with your Bible, But if I take your Bible and I lay it on the ground, it will be absorbed into the earth. The the wind, the rain, the sun will wear down this book and the insects eventually will get to it. He said, my Bible is the whole of creation. I wake up every morning and I open my arms to the sun and then I dive into the river bodily and that is my Bible. So. I hear you. I think we need to return to an indigenous mindset and move away from the might makes right mindset. Um, we're running out of time. We're pretty much at the end of our program here. So I want to thank Tessa Tessalina for joining us. And please check out her Substack. Tessa Fights Robots. It's just phenomenal. Go check out the archives of her interviews. Definitely check out The Great Reset for Dummies is really important. That's sort of a seminal work that we should all be familiar with. And next week, I want to let you guys know I'm really excited about this, guys. I have Dr. Meryl Nass has agreed to join us. So Dr. Meryl Nass has just come up with an incredible article that also is required reading. She just came up with her third draft of it. And it's basically saying where a lot of this nonsense is headed that they want to build vaccine factories all around the world and produce vaccines in less than 100 days after identifying new pathogens on farms and in water supplies and sewage systems. But she's going to describe the details of the actual documents, the actual plans that have been laid on the table for us, the human race, that are being subjected to this experimental concept of life that we're trying to resist and create something entirely different then so thank you for joining me on the baseline thank you tessa for your incredible insights today and um, looking forward to seeing you guys hearing you guys next week thank you